Let's, let's read this passage from uh, Acts chapter 19. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and all the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Father, we want to pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, I thank you that you want to speak to each one of us through your word and your spirit. And Lord, our, our, our just our heart cries, Lord, we want to be changed by you. Lord, we have faith that your word and your spirit bring change. And I pray for each of us that you'd speak change into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. London's an amazing place, isn't it? I love London. I was born here. I've spent most of my life, except for three years where I lived in Liverpool. Um, I'm, I'm not even going to make a football reference today, <laughs> except top of the league. But, <laughs> but okay, so, um, but I love London, and it's an amazing city, and I confidently and in all humility would say it's the best city in the world, isn't it? It's just, why would you want to live anywhere else? But you know, like in Google Maps where they zoom in, let's zoom in from London. Because there are about 8.9 million people who live in the built-up part of London. I think it goes up to about 12, if you include all the random bits of Surrey that sort of sprawl out. But there's about 8.9 million people. Stacks and stacks of people. But then we zoom in even further and we come to Tower Hamlets, which just happens to be the best part of London to live. <laughs> and then we could zoom in even closer to Limehouse. But, but anybody know how many people roughly live in Tower Hamlets? Anyone want to take a stab? 320,000. Somebody's been reading the census figures. 320,000 people live in Tower Hamlets, one of the most densely populated parts of the country. It's an amazing place to live. I read something yesterday that every year in the UK, 550,000 people die. I guess last year may have been more even. Let me tell you something the vast majority of those people die without knowing Jesus and go to a lost eternity. And so on the back of that, I just want to think, us to think about how do we change a city? How do you change a city? How do we change a place? How do we as Christians, as some of God's people, and we are just in this church a part of a mosaic of churches across this borough, this city, this this country, this continent, this world, knock the mic stand as you go. Um, but we are just a part of that. How do we live in such a way that we leave a legacy? Ultimately, change 
I believe, is brought about by changed people. It's not just brought about through circumstances, but changed people change people. In this passage in Acts, if you read the before and after, it speaks of Paul's time in Ephesus. And I don't know if any of you have been there. You can go there. It's in Turkey. I went once. It's incredible. You get an understanding of the scale of the city there. It's an amazing place. It was a vibrant center of culture. It was a busy place, a place of trade. And the gospel of Jesus Christ brought change into that place. In Acts, we see that Paul and his team had such a profound effect on the city of Ephesus. It was massively changed. But it didn't happen because they said, we're going to change the city. It happened because they said, we're going to share the good news of Jesus. And ultimately, I believe that this borough, this city, this nation can be changed. Not changed for the sake of change, but change because people here understand and respond to the good news of Jesus. It happened so much there in Ephesus that there was a riot. Literally, there was rioting on the streets of Ephesus because so many people were changed that those who made idols were going out of business because everybody was turning to Christ and they were losing their business. Wouldn't it be remarkable if again we saw in London such change? that it actually changed the nature of the economy. It changed the nature of places that exploit the poor, like bedding shops and things like that. They began to close down. During the Welsh revival, change in people brought change to places. Brothers and sisters, it's never our call as church to change the place. It's our call as Christians to be faithful to the good news of Jesus. And as we do, Part of that is that Christians naturally change places through faithfully living out servant-hearted lives. Buildings, environment, development, they can change places, can't they? If you look at the Isle of Dogs, and today if you get a chance to come and join us this afternoon, you'll be able to hear more about some of what's happening at THCC Island as we look to plant a congregation on the Isle of Dogs. And you can look at the massive change, big skyscrapers, New developments. And it's a really changed place. But you know what? For lots of people, that change hasn't been positive. For many of the poorer people, it's simply meant that they've been pushed out of their homes, out of the places where they live. It means that when kids grow up, they can't afford to live anywhere near their parents or grandparents. Change in itself to an environment does nothing. But the good news of Jesus changes people's hearts. It changes the way they live. It changes their eternal destiny. And you know, within that, the world is changed often, not by the rich and famous, but by the ordinary. It's changed by everyday people. In this sense, we see in Acts a slow rising tide that happened here in Ephesus over a couple of years of faithful ministry. So much change was brought around, but it wasn't instant. But there are times and moments 
that spark change, and often that's through very ordinary people. So if you think of yourself as an ordinary person, then God wants to use you to bring change. There's a a guy called Mohammed Boazizi. I had to look up his name. I guess probably none of us here know who Mohammed Boazizi was. But he was the guy that sparked off the Arab Spring in Tunisia as he got fed up about the oppression of, uh, and the way he was being exploited. And suddenly, the, the city where he was changed, the nation changed. It spread throughout the Middle East, changed people, changed things. But the gospel changes in a way that political change can't. And here in Ephesus, as we read before and after this passage, when you get a chance, you will see that the city was changed to such an extent that the idol makers were going out of business. Firstly, I want us to see that this happened because Christians were impacted, equipped, and motivated. If we look at the beginning of Acts 19 in verse 5, it says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Rewind the tape from the riot because there were so many coming to Christ. And we see Paul meets with a handful of believers, 12 men that he met with. And he began, what does he begin to do? By just beginning to work with and equip the believers there. He instructed them. He instructed them. The Christians were taught. I believe that God changes us as believers as we are taught and respond to the word of God. Brothers and sisters, let's be active in learning Teaching's one thing, learning's another. Let's be taught the word of God. Second, they were baptized in water. That was a sign of obedience. But also, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were empowered and equipped. Think about that, teaching. They were taught, they were obedient to God, and they were equipped. Taught, obedient, equipped. Remember it, T-O-E, toe. Be a big toe in the kingdom of God. Be a big... You know, the first time Annie met my... Uh, oh, well, we'll leave that. <laughs> that's, that's, going straight, that's going straight down the path of dis- distraction. Well, I'll tell you that another time. Uh, uh, we'll get there, we'll get there. He then, after that, makes a determined effort to begin to reach the lost. He begins to empower the Christians, teaches them, empowers them, sees them filled with the power of God, and they begin to affect change. Brothers and sisters, it can start with you and I. When we think about the great moves of God in history, it's often in unlikely places. I've read a number of books on the Azusa Street Revival and you see that what happened was incredible stuff, but it was very ordinary. It wasn't the rich. It was ordinary people. It was controversial because black people played a leading role in it. 
And that scandalized America as black and white people worked and worshiped together. It came because Christians love God and crossed social boundaries. It came because people desired to be filled with the power of God. And I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, do we desire to be filled with the Spirit of God to do the work of God? Because there's so much we can do in and of our own strength, but we will come to an end of ourselves. The church of Jesus was always meant to be empowered from on high. Jesus said to the disciples that he would pour out his Holy Spirit over them and they would be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. God empowers his people and his people share good news. Secondly, the city of Ephesus was changed because of the fruitfulness of faithful gospel ministry. Acts 19, 8-10 says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Here we see Paul does his usual thing of looking for the Jewish community first and he begins to share with them. And then he had this way of working with the Jewish people and then with God-fearing people and began in concentric circles to work outwards. And he began to reason with them. The faith that we have has a reasonable basis to it. It doesn't fit always with human logic, but it is, there is integrity to what we believe. It's not fairy stories and pie in the sky. It is based on the historical fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he realized that these people weren't open, he just began to expand. He, his heart was to look for who is open. He went to the wider public. It wasn't hit and run. It wasn't, I tried it once, I shared with them once. You know, we said that, that impression of three months in one place, the people are becoming hard-hearted. He begins to speak to others as well. It says that he labored there for two years, going daily. I love the fact that he, he kind of finds a spot that works. He finds a place and a space and people and he doesn't just rush around, but he does faithful, long-term gospel work. And brothers and sisters, as we come back to how does a city get changed? It gets changed through faithful Christians committed to being somewhere and sharing good news and continuing and not giving up. When I first moved to Tower Hamlets 25 years ago now... I was about four at the time, as you can see. And uh, I, I started working in full-time ministry. And I, I remember sitting with a guy called Olaf Morehouse, who was a predecessor in pastoring this church years and years and years ago. And um, I sat with Olaf. And he was a guy who had a remarkable man. He had a brilliant intellectual mind, far smarter than I am. He uh, was trained in law. He'd given up his career to pastor at the time when he first started a small church on a housing estate. 
in, in a really rough housing estate in what was then known as a pastor's graveyard. And I remember sitting with him and he said, changing the city takes time and years. And we were talking and we went for a walk and he said, okay, I'll take you for lunch. And we went up the Roman road and it was so incredible seeing how many people he bumped into that he knew. You know, if you ever go for a walk with diets the same way, like she knows everyone. Di, Zoe, there's a, there's a few of them, Mareka, that just, if you need time because they're going to stop. Um, and he just said, it's going to take time. And then as if to illustrate his point, and I was like, did you set this up? This guy comes up to him and says, Olaf, I haven't seen you for a while. And was really friendly and, and just appreciative of him. And he said to me, that guy used to come to our youth work. And he said he was a lost cause. And then the guy's like, Olaf, I want to come and see you. I want to talk to you. And years later, that guy's there. And he just said, it takes time. And brothers and sisters, some of our relationships, some of our outreach takes time. I know we love that kind of thing when someone gets saved quickly. And I'm all for that when God is doing it. But our job is never to drive someone to make a commitment. Our job is to faithfully share the good news of Jesus. We can't save or convert anyone. And we see here that faithful gospel ministry produces fruit. Some of you know Rob Scott. He leads the Asher church plant here. I love what he said. He said one time, reaching Muslims with the gospel is easy. It just takes a thousand cups of tea. You've got to carry on and carry on and carry on. Bill Wilson in New York, a very different environment as they began to knock on doors and do Sunday school and faithfully show up and show up in the worst parts of New York. He says this, if you are in the right place often enough, Eventually, you'll be there at the right time. Brothers and sisters, as we faithfully serve Jesus, share his word, show up, love, live, serve like Jesus did. As we share what we have, as we live differently as a redeemed community, then God shows up and changes lives. Reaching the least reach takes time, presence, and persistence. I'm really struck the way Simon and Mareka, the way they live on that same housing estate for, I want to say 30 plus years or something. I don't want to age them, maybe even more. You know, there are kids that used to come into their house and hear Mareka and Simon sing and tell, I hope it was Mareka that was singing, sing and tell gospel stories. Now some of those kids are grown up and they bring their kids to Lansbury Lodge to hear Mareka and others sing and tell gospel stories. Brothers and sisters, faithful time, presence and persistence. I love the fact that he was quite happy to appeal to people's reason and intellect. He didn't speak, expect people to switch their brain off when they believed the good news of Jesus. I love, we see even in this passage, the dynamics of faithful gospel ministry, reasoned arguments, and then power of the Holy Spirit doing stuff as well. It's never meant to be one or the other. At this church, we are absolutely committed to word and spirit, faithful expository teaching, 
but also we believe in the power of God. And for too long, we just go into camps and we need both of those things. Paul reasoned with them. John Stott says of this passage that Paul's argument was serious, well-reasoned, and persuasive. Brothers and sisters, my heart, my desire is that we would be a people who can share the gospel with our lifestyles and with our mouths in a way in which is faithful, serious, well-reasoned, and persuasive. I think we do well. We have to really think about how do we reach the world around us. The world has changed and is changing. COVID has changed it even more. The basis is the same. Verse 10, they heard the word of God. But the mindset that we need to work with changes and is different. And we need to understand people to be able to share Jesus with them. I believe we would see far more of the miraculous if we were more intentional about faithfully reasoning with people. If we did more sharing of good news, if we placed ourselves in a vulnerable place, stepping out. You know, when you read about uh, Philip and he reaches out to the Ethiopian eunuch, he sees the guy reading in his car and goes over, do you understand it? Sometimes it takes someone to walk across the room. This is a mission for all of us. Yes, Paul was an apostle. But actually, the task of faithfully sharing the gospel wasn't left to a select few. Please don't think you can leave it to me. If you're going to leave it to anyone, Annie's far better at it than I am. But beyond that, it's not just the church staff it's not just to Christians who've been Christians for a while. The, the task of sharing the good news of Jesus is for the whole church. It is for all of us. This place can and will be changed. People will come to Christ as all of us take hold of what God has taken hold of us for. For all of us, in your everyday vocation, how do we share the gospel I was talking with somebody today and just asking them in January or February to, to do a talk on sharing on their, how they approach work. And I realized we haven't talked enough about that. And I'd love over the next months that in some of the testimony slots like today, I'd love to have some people share about how does faith integrate with their job. Doesn't mean you're necessarily sharing the gospel when you should be working, you know? And that includes looking at Facebook as well. But it means that, you know, how do you approach your work, your vocation, your school? You see, your family is your mission field. Or maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's your friendships. Maybe it's your schools and college. Maybe it is your tower block. Maybe it is your estate. Maybe it is your street or neighborhood. But God has placed you there for a purpose and that kind of radius of your life that you can impact, those are the people that God has sent you to. Maybe it's a friendship group. Maybe it's career groups. God has you there for a reason. But we need to be stirred by the need. In Acts 17, 16 to 18, we get a glimpse of how Paul 
interacted with people's need. It's Paul in Athens at Mars Hill. He has this profound discussion. I sat in the same place and had an almost as profound a discussion with Gary Davidge there one time as we sat in that same place. But it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some asked, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was teaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Paul saw a city that was full of idols and it broke his heart. Brothers and sisters, we need to have soft hearts that God can break. As we look on the idols that people worship around us, whether it's the idol of a false religion, the idol of success, the idol of money, status, wealth and power, we need to be stirred by the brokenness, not to condemn. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it said he was stirred with compassion because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes we're stirred and respond to physical needs, and that's great. But Jesus was stirred and responded to lostness. And what did Jesus begin to do? He began to teach them. What did Paul do when he saw the lostness of a city full of idols? He began to reason with them and share the word of God. He reasoned with them in the marketplace day by day. He found a place and space to share Jesus in his busy schedule. What might this look like for us? I, I just, If you're able to, I would say one of the great things you can do, there's a great book uh, by Tim Keller called How to Reach the West Again. If you go to the uh, City to uh, the Redeemer website, it's free. It's a free ebook. Free is better than cheap is one of my life mottos, as many of you know. And you can download that. And it, I just, I've just loved reading it. Some really interesting things about how to understand kind of a late modern mindset and to think about it. I'd encourage you to read it. Some of the things that he brings up in there, and I'll just just headlines, but the need for us to listen and reflect, listen well to the people that we want to reach. You know, Carl Truman's, there's another great book at the moment called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. If you read that, one of the things he said, he said, I spent years trying to get the world to understand the church. He said, I realized I needed to come to the point of getting the church to understand the world. And we need to think about how we engage with people. You know, Keller in this book talks about understanding the big ideas that they live their life by. He talks about affirming what's good in people's thinking, not just being critical. But he also talks about the need to subvert and to undermine their trust in the things that they place their trust in. He talks about seeing the common good that they hold up. And our world does have ambitions for common good, but it doesn't know how to reach them. And he says we need to take those good things they want and show them that really they're only found in Jesus. And I tell you, it is, it's a small book. 
if you if you're like me, Spotify is your friend. You can listen to the whole. You can listen to him reading it. I like Killer's voice, but you can listen to him reading it, and so you don't even have to do the hard work, and that is free as well. So I would encourage you: is take a couple of hours. It will. You'll really learn lots in there. And then the last thing that he says, and that really spoke to me, is we need to live out truth in a compelling and alternative community, the church. You see, people need to hear the gospel and they need to see it lived out and they need to see it lived out in the local church. They need to see it lived out in a multicultural, multi-generational community. They need to see that this church is a place where young and old mix, where people from different social classes mix, where we're not a black church, we're not a white church, we're not an Asian church. We certainly ain't a middle class church, but we are a church of people, I'm going to hit that thing in a minute, people coming together to hear the good news of Jesus. And we live lives that are transformed, where we cross boundaries that we wouldn't normally cross. Why? Because we love Jesus and our lives are changed. And then lastly, it's a gospel demonstrated in power. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. God did extraordinary miracles. I'd love some ordinary miracles. You know, let's start with that and then rank it up to the, um, the extraordinary miracles. But God did incredible things. He confirmed the preaching of his word. God did what only he could do. But I believe he does that as we do what we can do. I, just the more and more I see where God is moving, and particularly I saw this a few years ago in the Islamic world, and it really began to... To, to spiral in my thoughts that wherever I saw Muslims coming to Christ in significant numbers, there was always three things. There was a generous hospitality and a welcome from Christians. They made Muslim people feel at home in their homes, in their buildings. They, they were hospitable and open and welcoming. Secondly, there was contextualizing of the gospel. That simply means people thought about how people lived and began to put the gospel in a way they could understand the same truth, but in a way that made sense to the people hearing. So there was hospitality. They explained the gospel in a relevant way. And thirdly, it was the power of God. When they did the hospitality, when they contextualized and made the gospel understandable, suddenly God would step in. And I want to say that as we do those first two things, let's be praying for the third thing. Let's be praying for the suddenly. Let's be praying for those moments when only God can do a miracle. And that happens. You know, I reasoned with my dad for years trying to just prayed for him and, and wanted to show him a good life. And, and it was only just supernaturally at some point God opened his heart. We'd been praying for him for years. And then Annie said to me one day, you just need to go and bluntly explain the gospel to your dad. I was praying today and I really felt the Holy Spirit encourage that. And so I went and I shared with my dad. And at that moment, it just, his heart was open and he gave his heart to the Lord. This was a Muslim guy. What happened? God was at work. It was a God moment. None of those things work in opposition to each other. Faithful sharing of gospel ministry and an encouragement to look out for the power of God. You know, as we look through 
that passage and as you follow it through a bit more, you will see that the riot begins because the idol makers are afraid. They're going out of business. Put simply, there's a sense in which revival happens when Christians turn from idols. I'm not here to tell you what they are. I know that there are things in our life that we idolize, that we hold above God, things that we hold on to, things that we crave and chase, things that we worship instead of worshiping God. And I want to encourage you, whatever that thing is, as we're going to take communion in a little while, I want to ask you, put those things before God. You know, they accused Paul of leading large numbers astray. Wouldn't it be great if people accused us of leading large numbers of people astray? In a good sense, guys. You know, but, but, but that, because people get saved, they stop showing up where they showed up before. The idols were threatened and their false gods were discredited. In verse 27, you see that. Says, um, and that the, the goddess will be robbed of her divine majesty. When Christians stop worshiping idols, when they share the good news of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, it robs the idols of our society of their place. What effect is the good news of Jesus having on you? What effect is it having on our desire to see a place changed? For some of us today, I just feel like God really wants to encourage you. It's time to get serious about sharing good news. For others of you, you're in that place. And I just think God wants to encourage you. It's time to be open to him doing something miraculous. To others of you, you're tired and you're thinking, I'm going to give up. Maybe go look for an easier life. Maybe do something less stressful. And friends, there's a time for that. But For some of us, the encouragement is faithfully share the good news of Jesus. Don't give up. Don't just think, oh, it's not working or it's hard. And I'd challenge you, don't just look for a nicer place to live. You won't find one. Tahan is the best anyway. But but be ready to faithfully share the good news of Jesus. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts. Forgive us, Lord God, for the idols of our hearts. Lord God, help us to be those who are taught, Lord God, who are obedient, those who are empowered. Lord, propel us into faithful gospel ministry. Lord, I would just pray that Monday morning, just the dramatic work would be showing up Showing up, showing up in places, showing up, showing up, showing up, not giving up. Lord, that the miraculous work would be loving the person that we want to jab in the face. Lord, I pray that the the miraculous work would be loving the person that we've ceased to love. Lord, the miraculous work would be making ourselves vulnerable to share Jesus. The miraculous work would be forgiving those who've offended us. Lord, I pray that you would make us into people that are eager to share good news in Jesus' mighty name. And we pray that you would do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen.